Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. This is a podcast where we discuss how Jesus can be found all throughout Scripture and how to read the Bible devotionally. We've got a lot of ground to cover in both the Old and New Testament. We're really excited. I hope you are too. Here we go. All right, week two. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Jackson. My name is Daniel. I'm here with Pastor Troy. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Troy. And I'm here with Caleb. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Caleb. And I'm also here <laughs> hey, with Caleb. Whitney. Yeah. Hey, Daniel and Pastor Troy. Excellent. Well, we're all here. Yeah. Uh, we're going to dig well, into... Well, well, Caleb, tell a little bit about where you're from. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Caleb. Reveal yourself to us. Uh, well, my name is Caleb. Wow. Hi, Caleb. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> and... Um, I attend First Baptist Jackson, and I play in the band. Yeah. I play the drums most weeks. And you're right. You're from right here in Jackson, though, right? Yeah, I'm right here in Jackson. You go to the high How school. Long, have you always lived here and went to school here? And... Yeah, I've always lived here. I'm a senior at the high school, and I'll be going to college at the end of this year. Sweet. Nice. Awesome. What about you, Whitney? I'm Caleb's better half, also a senior. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. Are you from here? Are you always I been? am, yes, but I live in Cape, but I go to school in Jackson. Always have. Oh, always have. Yeah. Yeah, cool. What are your plans? Are you going to college too? Yeah, I want to be an elementary school counselor. I'm going to go to SEMO and live on campus and pursue that career. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad you guys are participating in this with us because it's awesome that you guys are doing the reading and and uh, and have and glean some things from God's word. So that's really, really cool. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the things that they pull out. of Because in every reading, everybody that's going through it, whether you do it daily, every other day, whether you do it once a week or whatever, we want to demonstrate that each time you pick up God's word and you take a moment to read it, that he has something he wants to show you. And what he is showing you is important. It's not just, like we said before, it's not just having some scholar there to explain all the infinite details. It's it's what is God saying to you, revealing to you through his revealed word. Uh, so it's, it's I think it's awesome to be able to hear what he's saying uh, to you. So I'm excited about what you guys are going to share today. All right. Well, uh, do you guys have any thoughts from the reading? What have you guys seen? What did you like? What stood out? What did you not like? Big thoughts. If you would have stopped reading the story of Jacob and his kids halfway through, you would not have seen God's promise being worked out and how he came to say or came to do what he said he was going to do. So it's encouraging that you have to keep going and you can't stop in the middle or else we would have think God lied that... Um, Jacob wouldn't have gotten the blessing, but he did. And um, so that is encouraging, I think, because you just have to keep on going. You can't give up halfway through. It's kind of like in your own life, too. Um, If if God says he's going to do something with you and you stop halfway through and give up on him, well, then you're not going to see it finished. And you have to keep going, even if it's going to be years like it was um, back then as well. And, and some of them, and one of the things that we always want to do is be able to say, well, what does this have to do with Jesus in any way, form, or fashion? And some really cool things are happening here because you have Jacob, who's the younger, who is being given the blessing. He cheats his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of stew, and and so that's he's already done that. And now he's lying and deceiving to get the blessing from his father, and yet 
Jacob is going to become Israel. Uh, God is going to give him a new name, and he's going to have 12 sons, and those 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Of even greater significance of those 12 tribes, Judah is going to be one of the sons that he has. Judah is going to be the forebear of David, who's going to be king of Israel. And from David's line comes the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, is going to be born. So here you have Esau, who's right, who deserves, seemingly, by tradition, deserves the birthright, deserves the blessing, yet loses that. And God doesn't punish Jacob. He, it seems like he rewards, but what's happening in a larger context is that God is demonstrating it's not about birthright. It's not about blessing. It's not about where you are. It's not about, it's not about the sins of the people in the, the people in the lineage of Christ are, if you look through the line of Jesus, so many imperfect people, so many people who made huge egregious errors in life, yet God shows through the fallenness of mankind, he still preserves the line of Christ who then becomes the means of redemption for all of them, for all of us. So that's really neat. What else you guys, what did you come across? Um, so there was this girl named Dinah, <laughs> and she had it pretty rough. Had a bunch of brothers, seemed. yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had a lot of brothers. Um, and then in Genesis 34, I believe... Um, it talks about how she was defiled by the people in the town, the city that she was in, and her brothers retaliated <laughs> and came to their sister's pretty aggressively. Honor. Yeah, pretty aggressively. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's cool that they were there to stick up for her, and they definitely had her back. Um, but they also had the backs of everybody in the town, but with a sword. Can you share the details of the story without, uh, so we can keep at a PG. P, the PG rating? <laughs> <laughs> so, again, Dinah was defiled and humiliated by the people of what? What city was it? Um, Shechem. Shechem. Mm-hmm. Shechem was a person, I thought. Oh, it's also a town. Yeah. Oh, it's his, yeah. his, his all town. the all the towns in the Old Testament are named after people. Okay. So. Yeah. so the people of Shechem defiled her and humiliated her, and her brothers found out, but they kind of deceived the people of the town. They said that if you will, can I say circumcised? Sure. If you will be circumcised like us, then like we'll let it go and we'll have peace between us. We'll be cool. So the people go out and get all of their town to do that and become circumcised. And then they still killed him. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, they waited even yeah. three days when they're all sore and, and, and weakened. Yes. Pretty diabolical. So I thought that was a pretty interesting story and one that I has not really been brought to my attention before. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything in that story, though, that made you think anything <laughs> devotionally for your day? Hmm. This makes me think I should defend my sister's honor. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I feel like it makes me think I don't want to be like the brothers in the fact that if I, I, I just don't want to deceive people. Like, I need to be truthful. Um, and I don't think they should have even gone so far as to <clears throat> have the other people be circumcised, even if they weren't going to kill them after and they were going to fulfill, like, their side of it um, and have peace between them. Yeah. I feel like they could have just left. <laughs> yeah. There's also I the takeaway of what you said about um, them being deceitful. I mean, they learned that from their dad. Yeah. Their that's dad. True. That's a. That's, he learned it from his dad. He learned, he from learned his it from dad. his dad. Yeah, yeah, and that's just a testament to the cycle that what you teach your kids and what you learn from your parents, even. Yeah. Um, even if they're not actively teaching it, which Jacob rebukes them. He, I mean, he's very upset and says he's, they brought shame to him, and 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 of course they have to leave the area. But um, and, and there's a fear now that now you've created, you've made us look like these thugs in this area, and now people are going to want to come after us. They don't, but uh, but it does give them a bad name in the area, and so he's upset about that. But but so it is. It's not about what you. Are wanting to happen. It's about what you, what your actions actually, how your children see what you do, and and you know they don't mimic or they don't necessarily do what you say. Sometimes they do what you do, mm. and and Abraham, you know, he he used deceit to try to protect himself. Probably the more righteous deceit of all of them because it actually was his sister technically when he said she was his <laughs> sister, and then Isaac again says. That Rebecca's his sister. Well, she's not his sister in any way. So, it, so that he just flat out lies. And then Jacob, uh, the daughter or the son of the woman that uh, he just that had lied and just, his mom led him into deception. And so, and then he becomes actively uh, deceiving his father and and fam brother. And uh, now his children are doing the same thing, but but with a murderous intent uh, to boot. So, kind of escalated a little bit. Yeah, it kind of escalates. Yeah. Which is why I always tell my children, you know, don't have other people circumcised and then kill them. That's, <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Yeah. It's a good life lesson. It is a good life lesson. Uh, there was a passage I read. Uh, this is one of the things that I think is important. Uh, and one of the reasons why we do the podcast and, and one of the reasons why we're encouraging people to do the reading. Um, every day when you read, God is going to show something, illuminate something, and say, hey, this is important. This this is something that speaks to you today. Something that amazes me is when you do this reading, and if you do it every year, you're going to read the same passages every day on the same day. So on January 20th, you're going to always be reading the same thing on January 20th, unless you miss a day and you're trying to catch up or whatever. But generally comes out to about the same. You're always in Genesis at the beginning. You're always Revelation at the end. And yet... Every time things will be happening in your life and a particular passage will stick out and God's like, this is what you really need to hear for that day. You know, he has other ways to get messages to you. I know there have been some days I've read a passage in that morning and then I'll see it on a billboard and then it'll be on the radio and then somebody will call me and say, hey, I was reading this passage today and have you ever thought about it this way? And then and then there'll be other reminders from, and it's like, I, I have this kind of little internal rule that if I hear it three times, then I absolutely stop and write it down and try to figure out what God is trying to show me through it. But every day I write down a verse. It's like if I read and I ask God, I say, God, illuminate something for me today in this reading. 
and then when I see that verse that kind of sticks out, I'll write it down and then try to say, this is what I believe he is saying to me through this passage. And I've been doing that for, I don't know, over 25 years. And so over 25 years, you have all these, and it's and what's really neat, and it's been really powerful at different times, to go back and look and say, what was God saying to me about this passage 10 years ago, 15 years ago? And those things that he was saying then still resonate today. And and sometimes, and well, many times, I'll meet a friend or something, and they will say, hey, I'm really going with something. And then I'll think, hey, that passage that I read, that's for you. you know. And so I have something to be able to share with them and say, I was just reading this today. And it really didn't say anything to me, but it seemed important, so I wrote it down. And now I know why I wrote it down, because you have this particular need. Well, one of the things that stopped me in this reading I was in Genesis 28, I think that's, yeah, that was right. Genesis 28, 15, where he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now, when you're reading something in the Old Testament, it's really important to realize God's not talking to me. He's talking to the person he's talking to. And so this was something he was speaking to Jacob uh, and he is saying to Jacob that he's Jacob. He's identifying Jacob in the promised land and saying, "I'm giving I'm, the promises I had for your dad, for your granddad. I'm giving these same promises to you. I'm giving you this land. This is what is being entrusted to you, and it's going to be entrusted to your sons. It is Israel that I'm giving you. I'm gonna, you're going to become Israel in name, and then all your descendants will be receive this land." But the cool part is, is that, yes, I know God is talking to Jacob, but what I also know is that Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. He is of the tribe of Judah. He is going to receive this promise. And he reveals that he is going to share that inheritance with me. So I also can get this verse. This verse also applies to me, not because of what God is saying directly here to Jacob, but what he's going to ultimately reveal through Jesus himself. Jesus is giving me this promise, not because I am of, I mean, I'm a Gentile, as, I'm as, gen, as Gentile-y as you can be, uh, but I don't have any Jewish heritage, but I am an heir in Christ. I am grafted in uh, through my faith in Jesus Christ, and he shares his inheritance with me. I am a joint heir in Christ. So I, when I read through the Old Testament and I read these passages, it's like, oh, this this does apply to me because I get this through Christ. So that's pretty cool. I'm just, I, I know we spend a lot of time in Genesis. Just there's so much more story that goes on there. And it's so Genesis much, is a great It's book. so much fun, yeah, and it, it will is. not be the same when we're in Leviticus. <laughs> but right now, Genesis is I love is Leviticus, the place too. I'm to just going to tell you. In fact, I, I call it Leviticus. Oh, wow. That is that is, <laughs> that is so optimistic about that, ex, that section. Can you roll your eyes? Can you hear that? The it rolling? is better when you finish it than when you're reading it for the first time. I, can, I will I can, say I can agree with that. Um, but just like when Jacob wrestles with God, I always love that story, and it's filled with so much mystery about, you know, like when he when he asks, "Hey, tell me your name," and the um, God says, "Well, why do you need to know my name?" and just disappears without answering the question. 
Like that's that's always crazy to me. But what's even crazier, maybe not crazier, but what's equally crazy maybe is that God like throws out his hip and doesn't fix it for his whole life. Just as like a sign to people, I guess, I don't know, but to people like there's this whole tradition that revolves around eating thigh muscles now in their in the Jewish <laughs> culture because of this thing. And Jacob, poor guy, is the the brunt of this this life lesson that he has to be he carries this pain around as a reminder of his former life, um, of his former name and his experience with God. And that's not something that I think about when I think about experiences with God. I think, what is the good that I can take out of this? What's the pleasing and good memories that I can bring out of it? But sometimes what God gives us is a painful peace, you know, a painful memory to, to walk out of something. And, and I don't know, just for me being conscious that every experience that I go through is, is from the Lord. How can I, how can I see him even when it's not pleasant and even when I have to deal with something for a long time. Hmm. There's a passage in Matthew that really stuck out to me and it's one that I have written down multiple years. Um, and it's Matthew chapter 10 verses 27 and 28 where Jesus says, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light hmm. and what you hear in the, in the ear, preach on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Mm. And I was having this conversation with somebody after church. They were saying, oh, yeah, they appreciate you being bold and sharing this or whatever. And I said, you know, there was a time when I used to, they were, they were pointing out that some of the things that were said in the message, they said, you obviously had no fear of how people were going to respond to that. <laughs> and I said, you know, I used to think about, I'd sit in my study and I would think, who is this going to offend or is this too overt, you know, and try to gauge what I was going to say. This passage helped remind me that I am not to prepare, I'm not to read God's word and then say, how can I filter this to not offend somebody or to make it where it doesn't make somebody uncomfortable but what God says, when God is sharing something with us, this is something that is meant, we should never be afraid to share what God says. You know, so when you're when you're doing these readings and you read something and go, oh, but that really, I have a friend who really needs to hear this, or this is something I need to share at work, or this is something I need to share at school, or this is something I need to share with my mom, or whatever. You should never be afraid to share what Scripture says. Now, sometimes our opinions, we need to really weigh out what we're thinking. And how we see things, but when it's just you're just sharing, this is what God says clearly in His Word. Never apologize for that, and and it should be proclaimed. It should be openly shared because that's the hope that people have. Because the what Jesus is telling us in private in these places, He's going to take that word, and if it convicts somebody, it convicts somebody for a reason. It it brings them to the light and and out of darkness, and that's why He says don't don't fear people who the worst they can do to you for sharing those words is to kill you. And he's saying, you, I'm the one you need to fear. I'm the one who has the ability to resurrect you. And so make me happy because if they kill you, I'll just bring you back to life. Um, <laughs> but if you make me mad, well, then, you know, you lose that resurrection. <laughs> Not so much. Power. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah, things could, be, things could be rough. So during the week, Caleb and Whitney have sent us um, different questions that they've had from their readings, and 
Um, we've had the opportunity to kind of think about them and talk about them. So let's go into some of the questions that you guys had. What stuck out to you? Something that I noticed is that, well, specifically in Genesis 24, but there were other occurrences of it. <clears throat> but um, Abraham has Isaac uh, swear to God that like he's not going to marry a Canaanite woman i believe yeah um and i just whenever i read that it just kind of felt uncomfortable to read because like now like in modern day you always hear like that you're not supposed to swear by anything and like especially not by god right. from what i've heard james 5 says don't swear by god or anything above all just Let like your yes be yes and your no be no yeah that's a, mo- that's a modern, well, you're thinking of the, the New Testament admonition, but the actual swearing of an oath has been around for a long time. And it is actually something that's in our culture today. When you get married, for instance, you swear an oath. I mean, when you say vows, that is a swearing of an oath to a person that you get into. When, we, when you testify in a court, you know, you put your hand on a Bible, you swear uh, upon the Bible that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Uh, and... These are not, when Jesus is addressing these things, he's not saying these are bad things or shouldn't be a part of a culture or society. But what he is addressing is the practice that had started taking place amongst the Pharisees. We have a text-in question from a church member. Um, He said, does God ever specifically address the polygamy of people such as Abraham and Jacob, etc.? And what about, this is part two, when biblical heroes do things they shouldn't, like when Rebecca smokes cigarettes? Ooh, what an interesting question. Yes, that is interesting. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Uh, Polygamy, wow, is a tough one because you wish that there was a verse in the Bible that says polygamy is wrong, you should never do it, the end, Uh, and then nobody does it. We do not have such verse, especially in the Old Testament. There is, uh, There are two passages in the New Testament, though, to look at. Uh, and one is in Matthew chapter 19. I talk slower as I'm turning pages in my Bible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 8. He says, Jesus says, He told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. And Jesus is referencing the establishment of a one-man, one-woman idea that God initiates with Adam and Eve. And, and he says, and, and Paul picks up on this in 1 Timothy chapters uh, three and, uh, 2 and 3 and, and talks about how there was, there was Adam and Eve. This is one man, one woman becoming one flesh. Uh, also in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 6. John chapter 10, verse 6, he said, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then he goes on to say, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus is establishing clearly, we believe, that what God intended when he made a man and a woman, is it to be a one woman, one man relationship, and the two become one flesh. He does 
forbid kings to multiply their wives because he says it will cause your heart to be deceived. Within the law, it gives allowances for if a man has multiple wives, here's how this is supposed to be handled. If a man has two wives, for instance. Um, I know in, in other cultures, Eastern cultures, like even today, and in a lot of cultures in the uh, Middle East, in uh, in South a- in South a- in a- Central Asia, South Asia, uh, the law will allow you to have up to four wives, um, and so that is addressed by Paul specifically. And this is First Timothy three, where he says, "I want deacons to be the, the should be the husband of one wife." Uh, people will say, well, he's not talking about polygamy because polygamy is not an issue. And it's like polygamy has always been an issue. Just because it's not an issue in the United States, it's not an issue in the United States because we started from a puritanical culture who, who was established by the church. And so we have brought laws of the church that have been in place for a long time. And a one-woman, one-man relationship has always been uh, indicative of the church because we obviously believe this is what Jesus is teaching us. But it it was prevalent in Paul's culture. It was, it is prevalent in other parts of the world. He absolutely is forbidding any person to serve in leadership in the church who is a polygamist. Um, shouldn't be a huge issue here because it's also not legal. Uh, and uh, the, uh, but, but yeah, that's, it's Jesus himself who's saying God intended for it to be one woman and man as a result of the fall which has created all types of negative issues between men and women. Um, and for one thing, it's more about the oppression of women. Uh, in, in cultures where there is where polygamy is allowed, it's never favorable toward women. Um, because if a lot of times, I remember a guy who came from a polygamous culture and asking him, how do people deal with this? Because it's such a foreign concept to us. And he's like, the women actually ask the husband to marry other women because they have so much work responsibility that they want the workload to be shared. Mm-hmm. And so that just shows you the oppressiveness of that culture. The women are set or the men are doing nothing. The women are doing everything. And so uh, because she has so much of the workload to carry, she wants him to other wives just to share the workload. But what a contrast to what marriage is supposed to be about a man who is loving his wife as Christ loves the church and serving her, not expecting her to serve him. And so in that context, obviously that's what it, it, there is supposed to be a one woman, one man relationship. And that is, gives us the most clear picture of the way God intends for that Jesus relates to the church. Awesome. You guys have any uh, others, other questions? What was the thing about smoking what was that oh yeah the second part oh smoking when when biblical heroes do things that are wrong for example when rebecca smoked but i mean there are tons of other examples like yeah i'm gonna have to look at that they one. Did a lot of wrong does he get that passage um didn't in the text message um, i tried well, googling isaac it. and rebecca are in chapter 24 yeah because yeah, I'm thinking of all the things of biblical heroes that they've done wrong. Rebecca <laughs> smoking was low on my list. <laughs> possibly, possibly David having a man killed yeah, right. <laughs> and having sex with his wife. Noah drank till he was <laughs> exactly. stupid. Exactly. Yes, drank till he was stupid and then naked, and his sons yeah. came in. And uh, yeah, that was yeah. There's a lot of other things that uh, yeah and yeah. Lot 
fill in the blank <laughs> of all the, the problems with Lot and uh, saying, I'm going to give my daughter, please don't take these men, but take my daughter and have your way with her. Yeah, those things. Those things. <laughs> Even Jacob himself lying to his dad. Oh, I found it. It's when Rebecca looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel. <laughs> It may have been a less than serious question. <laughs> That's yeah. all I could find. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> so in Genesis 24, I think it was in 24, um, I was curious why God chose to give Rebecca a son whose name was Dan. What a what a man. But Are you talking about Rachel? No, Rebecca. Rebecca is the mother of Jacob and Esau. Rebecca's with Isaac. Well, why did Rebecca's I Rebecca Isaac's there? wife. I don't know. Just let me read you my question, okay? <laughs> well, I'm trying to help you out here. <laughs> well, I don't know. Pro- look, look at look at the passage and make sure you... This podcast is understanding Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> well, who had a kid named Dan? Uh, my mom. One of the... What a man. The handmaiden of Rachel. Okay, well, I guess it was Rachel. Oh, yeah, because it was Rachel and Leah. Okay. So why did God give Rachel a son when she literally just told Jacob to go sleep with his servant? And why was that, like, a blessing for her to have a kid whenever she was just encouraging Jacob to do something not good? Well, she was barren, and she couldn't give birth to children. Dan was not actually born of her, but born of her handmaiden. Uh, Was it Bilhah, or was it... uh... What's the other handmaiden? I don't know. Where is this at? It was yeah, Bilha. Bilha, yeah. And uh, I was trying to think. What's, uh, and Zilpah was the other one. Mm. Um, Bilha was... It was the same thing that Sarah did when she was barren and wanted Abraham to have right. a son. So she gave Hagar, her handmaiden, to Abraham as a wife. And so he he married her and then had children through her. Same thing with Rachel. She couldn't have any children, but she took her servant and gave her to Jacob to be married so that she could bear children and vicariously taking credit for that child uh, because it was her handmaiden. Not what God's plan was. It was it's a, it's a great example of people trying to figure out how to make something work when God doesn't seem to be doing what he should be doing. And so they circumvent God's will and say, I'm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And so so she she's simply saying, "This is I, I can't have children, but if my handmaid has child, children, then I can take credit for that. And in some way, that gets accredited to me as being a child of mine because it's my servant that gave you this child. And so she has children through that. The only two children that Rachel actually gives birth to are Joseph and Benjamin. And that's why Joseph is the favored child is because he is the child given, uh, he's the first child that Rachel gives birth to. And he loves Rachel more than Leah. This is, there's a, there's a ton of jealousy and covetousness going through this relationship where you have, uh, Leah got, uh, Jacob loves Rachel more than Leah. And that is made clear, but Leah 
gains Jacob's favor in the fact that she is having children and Rachel is not. So Rachel, in an act of desperation, offers up her handmaid and says, well, take my handmaiden and marry her, and then she will give birth to children, and that at least will be, have some connection to me to take the attention away from Leah. Leah then becomes barren or is no longer able to have children, and so she gives her handmaiden to give birth to children as well. So now he has 10 sons and one daughter through Leah and uh, Bilhah, Rachel's handmaiden, and then Zilpah, uh, who is Leah's handmaiden. Finally, <laughs> Rachel has a son, and they name him Joseph, and he becomes the super favorite of this is actually Rachel's son. And so he makes him a coat of many colors. His brothers are all insanely jealous of him and eventually sell him to slavery, and that takes on a whole nother thread. She gives birth to Benjamin and actually dies in childbirth while giving birth yeah. to Benjamin. And so that is the last of his sons. They all become tribes of Benjamin. In fact, Joseph, uh, Manasseh, and Ephraim are Joseph's sons. They actually take on a place of prominence and, and, and become the tribes of Israel. Uh, and, and so sometimes when you'll read, you'll read about Manasseh and Ephraim being tribes of Israel. and not You won't read of a tribe of Joseph, but... Uh, uh, anyway, so they kind of sometimes make up the 12. Um, but so what I'm gathering is my parents do have favorites. <laughs> yeah. Well, Great. what you can gather is that when parents do have favorites, there are some major consequences as a result of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the siblings will sell their, their brother into slavery, <laughs> and uh, and the oldest doesn't want to kill him, but uh, that's about as good as it that's gets. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, does that help? That it's not yes. It's not God rewarding Rachel, by giving her a son, it is Rachel taking matters into her own hands right. and giving her handmaiden, and her handmaiden does have some. But, again, even in all the flawed nature of this, they are the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes, that makes a lot more sense. And then God still does fulfill what he said he was going to do. Yes. Yeah. One more question, right? Uh, it was New so. Testament. Yeah, um, from Matthew 12. Um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So, in 12, verse 31 and 32, um, it says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Here Jesus is specifically talking about condemning the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and remember the context of it. This is just after the Pharisees have attributed the works of Jesus to Satan. They said, how does he have the power to cast these spirits out? Well, he does it through Beelzebul or, or through Satan, the devil himself. And, and Jesus is saying, if you're going to call me the devil, that's one thing. But if you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil, that the hardness of your heart is so great that you can never, you will never be able to overcome that. that. That he's saying that there is a place of hardening your heart against the work of Christ where you will never come back from that. It is never a, uh, it always has to do with a person whose heart is hard against God, who has no, no belief that. Christ, that the work of the Holy Spirit is actually attributed to God. 
and it never applies to a person. I, I think the greatest fear in that verse is I'm going to do it accidentally, or last night I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, now I'm going to lose my salvation, and I'm never going to be saved. It doesn't work like that. It works because that is a person whose heart is tender toward God, who is repentant, who is humble before him, who believes, obviously, in the power of the Holy Spirit, or they wouldn't be afraid of God. Uh, and so it, it is completely relating to people who are saying, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit, the efficacious work of Christ and the, his redeeming work and saying that is not God or it is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of Satan. Um, that is unforgivable. Um, and we already know this. We already know that people who do not believe or trust in Christ will not receive the forgiveness that merits salvation. Yeah. And so, so to summarize, you're saying that a true believer in Christ is incapable of committing Correct. blasphemy would, against yeah, the Holy Spirit. It, is, it can't happen. For yeah. those who are who are worried about yeah. their mis, misspeaks or um, a hard time in their life, true believers cannot possibly commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Correct. So check your heart. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, think, I think we're, one, it will never be that a person who has been saved. Uh, he is he is talking about a person whose heart is hardened against God to the point where he can't be redeemed. The warning is this. The warning is understanding that if you're rejecting Christ today, that if you refuse to recognize him as Savior, if you refuse to recognize him as Lord, if you refuse to attribute to him that he literally is the Son of God, that he is that he did pay the price for my sin, that his work is sufficient, when you reject that, the the idea that later on in life you'll get another opportunity to believe that is false. That if your heart is hardened against him, it is the Holy Spirit that awakens you or, or makes you aware of your need for Christ. And so you do not respond to the Holy Spirit and reject him. The Holy Spirit may never open your eyes again, and then you that opportunity is lost forever and you're lost forever. So that's it is, it is a very real warning. And, and that's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You take this stance, you take this position, uh, there will never be an opportunity for repentance for you. And they will never know that. I mean, that's the scary part. I mean, think of, think of a disease like Alzheimer's. You know, you think of a person who begins to slip into oblivion where they do not know what reality is. Once your mind has gone there, there's no coming back from that. You don't don't make it work again. You don't have people that go there and come back from it. And it's it's like that. You slip into this world of hardness against God. There is no softening of your heart. There is no moment later on that you go, you know what, I, I was wrong. If you do that, then obviously you didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. But, um, but once your heart is hardened against him, then there is no opportunity for repentance. Cool. Well, Caleb, Whitney, thank you guys for joining us this week. It's been great having you guys. Really have enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Great questions. Great discussion. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. 
If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.